Take your Bibles tonight and join me in turning to Matthew chapter number 26. Matthew chapter 26. And while you're turning, uh, we'll tell you a little bit about how we got here into this part of uh, Virginia. We're starting our spring tour uh, with the College Ensemble. And uh, we'll be primarily in Virginia this week and then be ending up in North Carolina a week from today. And uh, Ambassador is no stranger to Heritage Baptist Church. We're grateful for the students that have come our way through the years. And here we are 30-some years later, and we're still doing what we originally started in 1989, and that's training preachers and full-time Christian workers for the Lord's work. And uh, to date, we have more than 1,000 graduates that are scattered all across the globe. I was just emailing our missions professor the other day. And we've got some of our graduates right now, they're in the throes of deputation to get to the mission field. And we're grateful for the people that the Lord has sent our way through the years. And I want to say, if you're here tonight and you're willing to do whatever the Lord wants you to do, you're in a good place. And you know what God is doing? God is still calling young men to preach the gospel. God is still calling people to teach in Christian schools. He's still calling people to serve Him in all types of fields of service. And so that is our bread and butter at Ambassador. All of our four-year programs are structured as a Bible major. We think if you're going to train somebody for the ministry, what better book to train them in than the Bible? And uh, that's why we take our students from Genesis to Revelation. Our goal is to give them the most thorough four years of Bible. They'll graduate with at least 60 hours of Bible. Most men will have at least 65 hours of Bible. Why? because that is the book that's going to change lives. And we want our students uh, to study that during their time with us. Not only that, but uh, we train our young people to have a faithfulness to the local church. Listen, you cannot lead in the local church until you learn to serve in the local church. And that's not just good on a Bible college level. That's just if, if a person expects to lead, they have to be faithful. And so our students that learn that during their time at Ambassador. Not only that, but we have an experienced faculty that trains them uh, for the Lord's work. Uh, how would you like to take your car to a mechanic who was trained by somebody who had never worked on a car before? That would really inspire your car. You can see young people smirking at that. They're like, yeah, that's not smart. And they're right. But you know what happens through the years? We get a lot of people, they have a lot of education, but they've never pastored or served in full-time ministry in that capacity. And they go right back into the classroom to train somebody how to do something that they themselves have never done before. And uh, one of our firm distinctives at Ambassador, we believe pastors ought to train pastors, evangelists training evangelists, missionaries training missionaries. Uh, school teachers, preachers' wives, etc. And so the Lord's blessed us with an experienced faculty and we have a family atmosphere. Uh, although we have students from 28 different states and 10 foreign countries this year, we have a number of missionary children. They've all assembled on our campus for the purpose of training for the Lord's work. We know them by name and we're able to personally interact with them and God's blessed us with a family atmosphere. And so if you're here tonight... And God's called you to serve Him in some form or fashion. Would you please stop by the table? I would love for some of you children. Uh, You say, children? Yes, we need to sow the seed now for you to be willing to do whatever God wants you to do. And it would be wonderful uh, to see future missionaries and pastors and preachers, evangelists, missionaries uh, that raise up from this congregation to go across the world spreading the gospel. And so stop by the table after the service. Uh, You'll see a number of items there, a view book, a prayer card. 
Uh, Dr. Comfort's autobiography of Fire in My Bones is available. It's a great story about how God reached down and took a young man raised in the streets of New York, saved him in Asheville, North Carolina, and has used him as a preacher of the gospel for the last 60 years. Uh, It's a great story. There's also devotional books written by Dr. Ernest Childs that are back there as well. And uh, so stop by the table, see the young people after the service, and I want to give a special challenge uh, to teenagers that are in the service tonight. If you're a teenager and... We'll say ages 12 and up through those teen years, all right? If you take notes on the message tonight, maybe some of you do that anyway. I hope you do. But if you are taking notes in the service tonight and you go back by the table and you see one of the young people and say, hey, these are my sermon notes for tonight, they'll give you a free T-shirt, all right? Uh, You say, why do that? Well, I would encourage people to take notes rather than doodling. Now, some of you adults probably could do that too, you know? But if you're a teenager here tonight and you're like, well, some of you are like, well, I take notes anyway. Well, then stop by the table. You show them after the service and just as an encouragement to you, uh, we'll give you an ABC t-shirt and uh, we'll encourage you not only to take those sermon notes, but to listen and obey them. Uh, that's of the greatest importance. All right. Again, it's good to be with you this evening. Pastor, thank you for letting us come and uh, we're looking forward to what the Lord has for us tonight in His Word. I want you to join me. In Matthew 26 tonight, and I'd like to begin reading in verse number 36. In Matthew chapter 26, in verse 36, Jesus, or the Bible says, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane. And he said unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And the Bible says, And he went a little further, or a little farther. Remember that phrase. And he went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. And tonight, in the next few moments, I want to bring to you a message that I have entitled a little farther. Here we find Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane this last May. Uh, I took my third trip to Israel the next May, the May of 2024. Ambassador is hosting another tour, in which people will go to Israel, 12 full days really of touring in the country. And people often ask me, they say, Brother Beal, what was your favorite part of what you saw in Israel? And my response typically is, where do you begin? There's so much to see. I still remember the first time I ever saw the Arbel Cliffs in uh, 2010. Uh, They told us it was a special site for us. And the reason why is when you climbed to the top of the mountain, we were going to see the Sea of Galilee for the first time. And I was really stoked. The Sea of Galilee was one of those things I definitely wanted to see because that's where the disciples were scared to death, just like I would have been. And uh, Jesus delivered them on two occasions, Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 6. And I remember we came to the Arbel Cliffs, we parked at the bottom, we began our ascent up that mountain. And I still remember there was an 85-year-old lady who was hoofing it in front of me, and I'm telling you, she was running like a 16-year-old. And I remember following her and I made up my mind. I said, that 85-year-old's not going to beat me up this, this mountain. 
And uh, so I passed her and I still remember at the top of the Arbel Cliff for the first time seeing the Sea of Galilee and I was overcome by it. Now you have to understand the Sea of Galilee, it's really like a large lake. It's like 14 miles this way, 7 miles this way. But when I saw it, I said, that is where that happened. I can't believe it. And I was stirred by it. Another place I remember seeing in Israel is I remember going to En Gedi. En Gedi is sort of like a desert place, holes everywhere. I can understand how David hid from Saul in En Gedi. And I also can understand how he was refreshed, probably finding one of those isolated waterfalls where he could go and enjoy himself in the midst of being persecuted by Saul. And of course, uh, being on the Temple Mount, Uh, Boy, that was an amazing thing to be there on the Temple Mount and to look across and to see the Mount of Olives, which is the largest Jewish graveyard in the world. If you stand on the Temple Mount and you look across the wall, you see the Mount of Olives and there are white... There are white tombs that are really above ground where generation after generation of Jews have placed the bones of their loved ones in those cases. Do you remember when Jesus told the religious crowd, He said, Ye whited sepulchres full of dead men's bones? All right, that was the sermon illustration because the Mount of Olives was that way. Even back in that day, graves, those white graves above ground, Jesus was sending them a message with a real live object lesson. And of course, I would have to tell you the empty tomb stirred my heart. Uh, hearing about many preachers who have gone there, and my heart was moved to just stand there and to see. And whether that was the authentic tomb or not, I am assured in my heart, He is not here, He is risen. But strangely enough, do you know the first place, the first time that I went to Israel, the place that moved me the most was the Garden of Gethsemane. We stood on the Mount of Olives. We made our way down this winding path through the tombs. And then we come to the place that is called Gethsemane. And even to this day, there are groves of olive trees that are there with that silver greenish leaf. Now I will tell you, those aren't the same olive trees that were there when Jesus was there. But nonetheless, the representation was generally the same. And I still remember as the tour guide told us about Gethsemane and as I was reminded about the agonizing prayer of Jesus, I remember when the time was we were dismissed and we went uh, every which way, I remember finding an olive tree that I felt like had my name on it. And I just remember kneeling there and I confessed and I said, God, I am so often like these disciples, pray, sleeping when ought to be praying. And there was something that moved in my soul that day at Gethsemane that I've never forgotten. And ladies and gentlemen, I want to encourage you in the weeks preceding Easter, can I beg you to do something? Spend time at Calvary. And spend time in the events that preceded Calvary and let God grip your heart. And here we find Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and what sets Him apart from His disciples is this. He was willing to go a little farther. And tonight I want to beg you, my Christian friend, to be willing to go a little farther. It makes all of the difference in your intimacy with God. In the hustle and bustle of this life, 
we still manage to not make time for God and not isolate ourselves so that we can talk to Him and so that He can work in our hearts. And so this evening, I want you to see three things about Gethsemane. You may not ever go there. You may not ever see the first olive tree, but I promise you, you will find Gethsemane if you'll look for these three things. Number one, it was a place of solitude. The Bible tells us in verse 36 that Jesus came to the Gethsemane with His disciples and He tells them, sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. Uh, You know, I, I love some of the wording in the King James Bible because it really reminds me of home and the word yonder is one of those words. If I had a nickel for every time I used the word yonder, we could all go out and eat well tonight, which I understand we probably will anyway to coin hole turn or corn hole tournament, all right? The reason I said coin hole is because in Lattimore, believe it or not, we have a man who trademarked coin hole. And so he plays corn hole with quarters and smaller boards and has made a killing off of it, all right? So anyway, that's why I get the two confused sometimes because I've probably played more coin hole than I have played corn hole. But, you know, afterwards we could all go and we could have a great time and eat a big meal. But, you know, I, I, for every, a nickel for every time that I use the word yonder, there's some of you tonight that have so, southern roots. You're like, I have no problem understanding the word yonder. But I want to tell you this evening, there's great significance in that word because Jesus was willing to isolate Himself from the other disciples in order to talk to His heavenly Father in a very intimate fashion. And here's the thing that I want to impress upon all of us tonight. If Jesus needed to isolate Himself from everybody else to talk to His Father, don't you think we need to do the same? Is there anybody here tonight better than Jesus? The answer is no. But sometimes we live like it. Even the Son of God was willing to isolate Himself in a time of solitude to speak to His heavenly Father. And that's a habit that all of us as the children of God desperately need. There may be some of you tonight, you say, I've never tried that before. Well, try it. As a matter of fact, I would say not only try it, do it. You'll benefit from it. Some people in their Christian growth, they say, well, I've never reached that level. And the reason is, is we've just not stepped forward in obedience. I want to challenge you. I believe it's God's will for every believer to isolate himself from distractions and people to spend time with his heavenly Father. Do you have that place of solitude? You learned that from Gethsemane. It was a place of solitude. You know, the Lord blessed me and my wife, Michelle, with three children. Two of them are out of the house now. We have one who is a junior in high, or is high school. And I can still remember when the kids were younger, and some of you parents ought to be able to relate to, them, to, to this. There were times that my wife and I wanted to have conversations that we did not want our little ears to hear. And so we would use our code language and we would migrate over to the bedroom and I would shut the door. And as I'd shut the door, as I'm over on the other side of the bedroom, carpeted floor, and I'm about to spill my guts to my wife, something tells me, look over at the door. And I see the shadows of three sets of feet by the bottom of that door. And so I just sort of 
quietly make my way to the door and yank it open and they're all there just like this. And they knew, they knew that mom and dad wanted time together so that they could talk about whatever that they didn't need to hear. And I would look at those kids and I would say, listen, you know better than this. I'm going to tell you what, just go outside and play in the yard. And they would say, well, how long? I'd say five hours should do it. (laughs) And they would say, no, dad, really. And I'd say, you just play out there till I come out there and get you. But I can't trust you in this house. I want you to get out. Leave us alone. Now, children, take notes. You want to get on your parents' good side. Listen, when they say, no, we're going to have a conversation and we don't want you to listen, go somewhere else, all right? But the whole reason I did that is because I wanted to tell her things that were none of their business and because I wanted to confide with her and I wanted to share my heart. Have you ever wanted to do that with a spouse or a loved one or a friend where you wanted everybody else away so that you could be honest and frank and be unashamed and just say, this is where I'm at, listen to me. Every believer, we must do that with God. I'm talking about a basic of the Christian life that is so far, it's overlooked. Do you have a time, do you have a place where it is just you and God? And you say, Lord, this is where I'm at. I was talking to a man in a church and he was telling me about how his job situation was affected by COVID. He lost his job and now instead of working five minutes away, he had to make a 45-minute drive. And he told me, he said, Brother Bill, he said, at first, boy, it just killed me. He said, I was just griping because I was used to being at work in five minutes and now I had to drive 45 minutes in traffic. But a smile dawned upon his face when he told me this. He said, but let me tell you, I've learned something. He said, now, he said, every day I make that 45 minutes. That's time where I talk to the Lord. And he said, do you know what? It's changed my life. Ladies and gentlemen, he's talking about something that doesn't cost money. It doesn't even take talent or oratory. All it takes is discipline and desire. Solitude. When's the last time you've shut the door and it's just been you and God? If you want to find Gethsemane, let me tell you, Gethsemane is a place of solitude. Are you willing to go a little farther tonight? Are you willing to step out of your comfort zone and say, God, I'm going to get back to where I used to be or where I've never been, but I need to grow. Be willing to go a little farther. Gethsemane is a place of solitude. But not only is Gethsemane a place of solitude, I want you to see also that it's a place of sorrow. I won't take the time to go into great detail, but Jesus has just experienced a lot in Matthew 26. As a matter of fact, it's just prior that Peter makes his declaration that he's not going to be offended, that he's always going to follow the Lord, and Jesus prophesies to him and says, the cock is going to crow. And later on it would. And now Jesus is really on the eve of experiencing a threshold of physical pain that nobody in this room has ever experienced. I'm not discounting the pain that you've ever experienced. Some of you say, I've been in awful pain. I believe you have. I'm just saying that what Jesus experienced that day was far more excruciating than we could ever imagine. Jesus was not only on the eve 
of suffering physical pain, but listen to me, he was on the eve of suffering emotional pain. And what I mean by that, Jesus was mocked. He came into his own, and his own received him not. If thou be the Son of God, save thyself. He experienced mocking and scourging and humiliation. Let me tell you, Jesus knew what it was like to experience physical pain and emotional pain. But I think the greatest thing that I cannot even fathom to understand as Jesus would hang on the cross and He would say, My God, my God, why hast Thou forsaken me? And with all of this soon to happen, he bows his head, he began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Are those words that you can relate to? You ever been sorrowful? You ever had your heart ripped out? Have you ever been disappointed? Have you ever had things happen unexpectedly and leave you in an emotional state where you didn't know what to do? Now, while I would contend the Son of God certainly knew what to do because He was Jesus, because as the Son of God, uh, He had purpose and He had resolution and perfection. But I want to tell you, Jesus sets a great example. Listen to me, when your heart is being ripped out, when the trials are ahead, listen to me, that's not the time to run away from the Father, that's the time to run to Him. And too often we let our sorrows drive us from God rather than to Him. If you're a Christian here tonight and you're in a point of hardship, listen, let it drive you to your knees. That's what Jesus did. As the pain was approaching, Jesus was sorrowful. He was very heavy. A couple of years ago, there was a local man who called me. He said, Alton, he said, I've got a piano that needs to be moved out of a rental property that I have. And uh, he said, I'm just looking for some people to make some quick money. He said, this thing just needs to be thrown away. He said, I'll pay somebody $40 to move it. And I had the bright idea. I said, well, I'll tell you what. I said, I'll be over there in 15 minutes. I sent out a text to all of the guys on campus, and I said, listen, you want to make 10 easy bucks, I'll take four of you. And I said, five minutes of work, you'll make $10. And sure enough, I had four in no time. And so we made the drive. It was about two minutes away over to this place. These four guys hop out. I'm The pickup truck, actually, that I drove here tonight is what I was using, a short bed Nissan Frontier. And we walk into that modular home, and the, sure enough, there's that piano, and sure enough, I understand why he wanted somebody to move it. It was like one of those that was made in 1673 out of lead. <laughs> and all the casters are broken. Uh, you, you hit a note and you wonder, why'd they even keep this? This is firewood. This isn't a piano. And uh, we began to manipulate that thing through the house. Those guys earned 10 bucks. It took them 10 minutes instead of 5 and finally, we got it out to the edge of the porch, and it was time to get on my truck. And uh, I was afraid to put all that weight on the one end on the tailgate. I didn't want the, the straps to snap. And uh, so anyway, I'm standing down here at the one end of the piano by myself, and I said, Guys, 
I said, this is what we need to do. We need to move this and we just need to come over the tailgate and set it down in the actual bed of the truck. And so you know what happened? Those four guys picked up that side. And here I am by myself. And, uh, you know, my mind is saying, don't do that. But my pride is like, it'll be okay. And I remember I grabbed that pen and my object was not, and the object was not to lift it way up. I just was like, if I can just get it to scoot, that's all I want it to do. And I'm going to tell you, I picked up on that piano and when I did, I was careful not to put all the strain on my back. But I'm going to tell you, my legs were screaming as I just, just, and finally I was like, guys, you can push anytime now. And they got it over just enough. But I still remember when I picked up on that, that heavy piano, my, my mind was like, this is a bad idea. I don't know if you can do this. But you know, sometimes in life we get loads that we have to carry and we think, I don't think I can do this. I'm going to tell you, this thing of being an adult, sometimes it's tough. Never experienced this before. There's some views you get older and things don't work right and the doctor tells you things you don't want to hear and you go home and your heart is heavy. There's some of you, there's something that happens in life, it doesn't work the way that you think, and you have a heaviness in your soul, and you may not even think that you can bear it. I want to remind you what Gethsemane teaches us, that Gethsemane is a place of sorrow. Listen to me, when your heart is broken and your life is pressed, go to your knees and spend time alone with God. You don't have to go to Israel to find Gethsemane. All you have to do is isolate yourself in your house, just you and God or somewhere outside, and say, Dear Lord, please help me. Number one, Gethsemane is a place of solitude. Number two, it's a place of sorrow. Again, I ask you tonight, would you be willing to go a little farther and get out of your comfort zone and take your broken heart and set it before God and say, This is where I'm at. But the last thing that I tell you this evening is that Gethsemane is a place of submission. In verse 39, the Bible says, And he went a little farther, and he fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. This verse sometimes can be controversial in the minds of some people. Have you ever met some people who just want to argue? Yeah, I've talked to some people and they say, well, what is the cup? And, I, you know, to be honest, I, I've never seen a verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt say this is the cup. But I look at it and I look what's ahead for Jesus. I look at the pain and the agony that's ahead. And Jesus asks that this cup would pass. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Now, I want to make something very clear. I don't think that's Jesus cowering from the cross. I believe Jesus was set like a flint towards Calvary. He knew that that was what was needed to die for your sins and mine and that His blood would be the only thing that could wash away our sin. I have no doubt about that. And if you're somebody here tonight, you say, Preacher, I'm not saved. I don't think that God could ever save me. Listen, oh yes, He can. 
But here I tend to wonder if you see the humanity of Jesus, and I'm not pitting the humanity of Jesus against the deity of Jesus. But Jesus did know what it was like to hunger. He knew what it was like to thirst. He knew what it was like to hurt. And Jesus said, from really, I mean from a fleshly standpoint, how many of you like pain? Anybody like it? If you like pain afterwards, I want to see you. We have some people with straight jackets that are going to take you to where you need to go. But here's the thing that you need. Some people get so caught up on the cup, you know what they forget about? They forget about the last part of it when he says, Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus sets an amazing example of submission. Yes, I believe that Jesus was always willing to do the will of the Father. That's why He went to Calvary. That's why He died for us. He was always willing. There was never a moment that Jesus was pitted against God and His will was different. Why? Because they're one and the same. They're God. But in this passage, Jesus tells us something that every one of us ought to hear clearly when He says, Not my will, but thine be done. You can't get to Gethsemane without submission. Now, I've got a secret for you, and this may amaze you, but you don't have to talk to my wife for a couple of minutes, and she could verify this. My will is not always God's will. Now, you can look at me like that all that you want, and you just put your halos back in the, back in the pew. But I'm going to tell you there are times when directions may come and things may come. My will is not the same. And do you know what I have found to be one of the greatest releases in my Christian life? Is when I stop fighting God and I say, Not my will, but thine be done. There's some of you tonight, you're agonizing in your life. And I'll tell you, part of the problem is, is that you're not willing to say, Not my will, but thine be done. You know, the world teaches us that submission is a sign of weakness. You remember when you were a kid and a younger sibling would pick on you and they'd twist your arm and say, Say, Uncle, say, Uncle. And you wouldn't say, Uncle, until it was about to snap off and finally, you're like, Okay, Uncle, you know, submit. Well, let me tell you, God is not a bully. He is a loving Father. And when we come to points where we disagree with Him, the sooner we come to the point of submission, the quicker we're going to experience God's peace and His comfort and His blessings. I'll tell you the greatest blessings in my Christian life I've ever experienced. You know what? They've come as a result of submission. When I was a 15-year-old teenager and I wanted to do my own way and God worked in my heart and I had to finally come to the point to say, You know what, God? Your way is better than my way. I'm going to submit. When I was 17 years old and God called me to preach the gospel as a senior in public high school and I had to come to the point where it wasn't my dreams, it wasn't my ambitions, it wasn't whatever I wanted. I had to say, All right, God, whatever you want, but listen to me. Here I am before you tonight, 48 years old, and I don't ever have a regret for saying yes to God. Everything that I have, I would have missed if I would have done my own thing, if I would have had my own way. And there are several crossroads in my life where I thought my way was better than God's. But if you want to be like Jesus, 
You've got to come to that crossroads with the heart of submission and say, not my will, but thine be done. You want to know why you're so frustrated? You want to know why you're so aggravated? Sometimes it's not what's happened to you, but it's your attitude towards God that's the greatest contributor to it. Folks, I believe with all of my heart that all of us need to find Gethsemane. And the sooner we find it, the better off we'll be. There was a phrase that I hated growing up. It was a phrase that was commonly used by my parents on long road trips. My dad, growing up, he bought cars that did not have air conditioning. The only way the air conditioning worked if the windows were rolled down and you were driving 60 miles an hour. And I remember on some of those long road trips, I'm sitting in the back of the car on a hot summer day in North Carolina. I just feel like I'm about to die. And I asked my dad this question. I'd say, Dad, how much farther? And he responded just like your parents did. With a little nonchalantness in his voice, he'd say, Oh, well, just a little farther. Two minutes later, how much longer? Oh, just a little farther. It's a wonder our parents didn't kill us, isn't it? And some of us would say yes, and we're reaping it today with our own children. I used to hate that phrase. A little farther, it was just a phrase to put me off another five minutes. It was just a phrase that I thought was thoughtless, but I'm going to tell you, My thoughts have changed about that phrase after reading the prayer of Jesus. And tonight, ladies and gentlemen, God, He wants His children to go a little farther. Rediscover that place where you separated yourself from everything else and you talked to God. Return to that place where you took your broken heart and said, God, I can't handle this. Lord, can you mend it? And maybe for some of you tonight, your frustrations would in large part disappear if you'd finally come to the point of saying, Not my will, but thine be done. Would you be willing to find Gethsemane tonight? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I'd like to take a moment to challenge you to consider the work that God has done in your heart. I wonder, is there anybody here tonight? You'd say, Alton, you're here and you're talking about prayer tonight. The truth is I'm not even saved. You see, Jesus went to that cross to die for you. His blood can wash away your sin. I wonder, is there anybody here tonight? You'd say, Alton, I'm here in this service. The fact is, I'm not even a Christian. You'd say, if I'm here tonight, I'm not saved. And you've told me about how Jesus went to the cross. He went to the cross to die for you. And you'd say, Alton, tonight God's dealing in my heart. I'm not even saved. And I know that Christ died on the cross for me. And tonight I need to accept Him. And you'd say, Alton, would you please pray for me as you end this service tonight? If that's you, as I wait just a moment, would you just slip your hand up long enough for me to see it? Just slip it up high long enough for me to see it. I'll be glad to pray for you in just a few moments and also to encourage you to follow the Lord by placing your faith in Him. Anybody as I wait just a moment? All right, and this last question, now listen. 
we preachers are guilty of something sometimes. We can ask a very generic question. I'm not asking you how many of us need to pray more. I think any Christian would just say, you know what, I need to pray more. I, I, I should do more. That's not my question tonight. I think we all know that we should be better at what we do for the Lord. However, I wonder if there are Christians here tonight, you'd say, you know, Alton, God has dealt in my heart about that solitude. And maybe for others, you'd say, Alton, tonight I've got a sorrow that God knows. And I've been driven away from Him instead of to Him. Or maybe for somebody tonight, you've been wrestling with God's will. And maybe you just need to say, not my will, but thine be done. I wonder if there are Christians here tonight and you'd say, Alton, God has dealt in my heart about going a little farther, whether it is solitude, sorrow, or submission. And you'd say tonight, Brother Beal, I need to rediscover Gethsemane in my life. God has dealt with me. Would you please pray for me as you close this service? Is that you as a Christian? Would you slip your hand up tonight? Are there folks like that this evening? A number of us here. A number of us. Thank you. You may put them down. In a moment, we're going to stand together. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and then I'm going to ask our pianist to begin playing. And in a few moments, we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to have a time of fun. But can I beg you, before you indulge in that, make sure you found Gethsemane. And let's take the time that we need to tonight. If you're able to join me in standing, would you do so? Let's stand together tonight as we close. Our Father... Lord, I thank You for the example of the Lord Jesus. And Father, I pray tonight that You'd help us to rediscover this precious place. Lord, I pray tonight that we would confess our failure to find solitude. Lord, I pray that maybe at this altar tonight burdens would be brought before You that we didn't think we could bear. And that, Father, maybe for some of us we would just wave the white flag. Help us all to rediscover Gethsemane tonight. We ask it in Christ's name. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, our pianist begins to play. I want to invite you this evening. If God's dealt in your heart, listen, my friend, you're carrying a heavy load. There's a sorrow, there's a heaviness in your heart. Why don't you come tonight? If you've managed to crowd God out of your life, you fail to have that practice of solitude, at one time you had it, then rediscover it tonight. It may be that your hearts cry. You know you need to say, Not my will, but thine be done. Why don't you pause and just wave that flag before the Lord tonight? Would you do that? I wish I could tell you I've always agreed with the Lord and I haven't. But I have found that when I bring myself to that point of submission, I enter a new phase of life. I enter a new step in my Christian walk and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Why don't you come tonight? As folks are praying this evening and as they take the time that they need, when they're finished, they can return. I want to give you this opportunity this evening. Would you take time to pour out your heaviness, your sorrow, your shortcoming? Whatever it is, would you just give it to the Lord tonight?
just a moment, pastor's going to come and close the service. But let it be said when we leave this place and we enter in a time of fellowship that we have let God have His way in our hearts. Just in this last chorus. Jesus, I come. Jesus, I come to Thee. May Gethsemane hold a special place in our hearts as we approach the resurrection weekend. May we seek to have that intimate fellowship with the Heavenly Father.